Let's get into our, our message this morning. We're in the book of Acts. We're, I'm calling this series First Steps, Lessons from Acts. And so we're looking at a series of firsts uh, from the church as it's being established um, after Jesus left and uh, turned everything over to the apostles. And uh, so we're looking at some of the different firsts of the church. And today it's First Delegation. First delegation, we're looking at Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. Acts 6, verse 1 through 7. Uh, let me ask you, would, would any of you here today call yourselves an I'll-just-do-it-myself kind of person? Any, any of you all? Any of you all? Uh, or how about this? If, if you want something done right, you got to do it yourself. Are you, are, you, are you that kind of person? Right, yeah. I've been, I've been there. I've been that kind of person before. Uh, probably still am at times. Anyone here have a hard time letting go and letting someone else help you with a project or a job? Anybody? Any of you have struggle with that? <laughs> Got a few people. Yeah, yeah. Um, my grandmother uh, was like that when it came to cooking. When it came to cooking. Uh, my grandma was a, was a great cook, and, and I always enjoyed her meals. We always looked forward to it. Uh, Thanksgiving was always wonderful with my grandmother's cooking. My mother, um, my mother, bless her heart, uh, while she was a great mom, none better than my mom, my mom was not a great cook. She just, she just was. She, she was okay. I mean, we survived. Uh, but, uh, <laughs> but when I was growing up, her, her cooking was, was not something that we all just look forward to, you know, it, uh, again, she was okay, but I can't think of anything in particular that I would think, ooh, mom's fixing her famous fried chicken tonight. You know, yeah, I can't wait. Now, now she, she made a pretty good meatloaf. Uh, but other than that, her cooking was, it just wasn't anything to write home about. Uh, you know, all due respect, nothing to write home about. And there's a reason why my mom's cooking was the way it was. It was because when my mom was growing up, when it came to cooking, my grandmother liked to do things herself. You know, my grandmother was one of the most godly women I've ever known in my life, uh, bar none. But when it came to cooking, she took charge of the kitchen <laughs> and basically insisted that everybody else go do something else. You know, she would literally run you out of the kitchen in a nice way, not with a broom or anything, but... You know, she would, she, uh, now you guys just get on out of here, I'll take care of this. That's, that was my grandmother, from what I've been told, anyway. I've never, I never saw her do that, but, but that's what I've been told. My grandmother focused on cooking, not on teaching my mom how to cook. So two things resulted from that. Uh, first, my grandmother had to work harder to get it all done, because she did it all by herself, which apparently she didn't mind. Uh, and second, my mom never learned from her how to be a great cook. Now, mom was a great school teacher. She was a great choir director. She was uh, a wonderful singer and piano player and mom and grandmother. Uh, but she was not a great cook uh, because my grandmother did not like to delegate in the kitchen. You know, delegation, delegation can be a difficult thing to do sometimes because, you know, uh, you, you, you um, if, if, a couple of reasons why it can be hard. Sometimes you just don't have anybody to delegate to. Uh, nobody's 
available or nobody's willing. And sometimes it's because you just would rather do it yourself. The church, we've been talking about the brand new church, the infant church that we read about in the book of Acts. Um, it was growing by leaps and bounds. Uh, the, the first day of the church, we read about in Acts chapter 2, 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus that day. So it, it instantly, on, on day one, became 3,000 people. And soon after that, in chapter 4, verse 4, we see it, it grew to 5,000 people. So zero to 5,000 within just a few days or, or weeks or months. We're not real sure what the time frame is, but it wasn't a long time. It was a short amount of time. Zero to 5,000. Now keep in mind that the church is not an organization made up of cogs and wheels. Uh, it's not a machine that produces a widget uh, that's run and, run and maintained by just a few workers. Uh, the church is a body of believers. It's a body of human beings who have decided to follow Jesus. And unlike a machine that can be maintained by a handful of workers, a body of believers is made up of individuals, each of whom uh, have their own individual personalities, needs, priorities, hopes, weaknesses, strengths, challenges, skills, abilities, passions, you know, a machine, those of you who are maintenance people, you, you know this to be true, a machine can be set up and run using a set of standards and techniques that work every time you apply them, right? And you can take that same machine and put it somewhere else and use the same standards and techniques and it'll run any, any place you put it. Uh, you make an occasional adjustment or repair once in a while, perform a few preventive maintenance checks on a regular basis, and with the machine, you're good to go, right? You're good to go. Human beings don't work that way. <laughs> human beings don't work that, that way. Every human being is a complex uh, being and is different from every other human being that we can lay our eyes on. Those of you who have more than one children, <laughs> you know that's true, right? You know that's true. It didn't take you long to notice that you can have two children from the same parents, and they can be like night and day, can't they? Um, and, and, and then you, did, you, did you notice and figure out uh, that you have to approach each child differently? It's not like a standard and a technique that you apply to every single child. Uh, when it comes to their personalities, their temperament, you've got to treat them differently and approach them differently. When it comes to discipline and rewards, passions, motivations, gifts, uh, you know, they're all different with every child. And God designed it that way. That's the way he wanted it when it came to human beings. And it's the same way with the church. It's the same way with the church. Every follower of Jesus is different. Now, while we follow there are some things that are similar that we all believe and share in, like we all believe in the same Savior, we all worship the same God, we embrace the same truths in God's Word. Uh, other things are different, though, like gifts and passions and strength and weaknesses, um, that, that we, we bring in different things as an individual to the table as the church. And that, again, was by design, uh, of the design of God. Dealing with a family of four or five, those of you who have families that big, um, uh, that can be a challenge, right, uh, to, to deal with all the needs and all the personalities and, 
and, and, and different things that, that come along with the family. So four or five can be a challenge. Imagine a family that, that overnight grows from zero to 5,000. 5,000 personalities. 5,000 brothers and sisters who have each has their own needs, passions, strengths, weaknesses. Zero to 5,000 like that. As one of the leaders of a body of believers here, um, you know, I find that thought overwhelming. <laughs> overwhelming. You know, we're a relatively small congregation here at Stony Brook, yet it can still be a challenge sometimes uh, to meet all the needs, to tackle all the challenges uh, uh, that we face as we try to, um, to, to minister here among a relatively small church family. Um, uh, you know, doing that with a body of thousands had to be quite a challenge for those very first Christians. And there was only one way that it can be done successfully, only one way. It involved two ingredients, the Holy Spirit and delegation. <laughs> delegation. When the church was born, again, we read in Acts chapter 2 in Jerusalem, uh, more and more people decided to follow Jesus. And, and during those first days and weeks and months, the 12 apostles, what were they doing? They were running the play, as, as I'm calling it. Uh, the play, meaning the, the mission that Jesus gave uh, those 12 apostles. They were telling people about Jesus. They were, they were helping them uh, to decide to become a disciple. They were baptizing them. They were teaching them the lessons of Jesus. They were running the play. But of course, when dealing with people, when dealing with individuals, there's much more involved in that than just persuading people to follow Jesus. There's much more involved in individuals. Um, because when they do make that decision and become a part of the body of Christ, they bring with them everything that's involved with an individual. Everything. They bring their personalities, their needs, their strengths, their weaknesses, their hurts, habits, and hang-ups, uh, to give some, some shout-out to Celebrate Recovery. They bring it all with them. During the 12 years that we offered upward to our community, upward flag football and cheerleading, uh, it was very clear each year that there was much more to upward than just playing football. <laughs> much more to it than just playing football. Now, while we were playing football... At the same time, we had to deal with egos, uh, disappointments, emotions like anger, jealousy, misconceptions, misunderstandings, behavioral issues. Yeah, for the, yeah, for the kids, but also for the adults. <laughs> oh, yeah. A football league is not a machine, even though we would like to think that it could be. It, it is not a machine. It's people trying to work and play together, uh, and everything that comes with people trying to work and play together. And the church is the same. With their newfound faith and their newfound commitment to Jesus, those first Christians brought with them all that comes with an individual. Now, the apostles' job given to them by Jesus was to preach the gospel. That was their job to tell people the good news of Jesus. Uh, now, 
they did that with fantastic results. You know, I, can, I can't imagine uh, starting a church one day and in, in about three weeks it's 5,000 people. Um, but man, they had fantastic results. But as the numbers grew, it quickly became apparent that there was more to this new body of believers than just learning about Jesus. There, was, there were more than just the spiritual needs for these new believers. There were the physical needs, emotional needs that all human beings have um, that don't just go away when you become a Christian. They're still there. What, what changes when you become a Christian is, and this is kind of a cool thing, uh, when you do accept Jesus as your Savior, you instantly have a new family that can help you with some of those needs that every human being has. Maybe you have a, a, a biological family that can help, um, and that's wonderful. Now you get a second family that can help. Uh, maybe you don't have a biological family that can help, and all of a sudden you got, you got one. So that's a wonderful thing, one of the, one of the blessings of being a Christian. Uh, we saw that early on at the end of, of Acts chapter 2, when the Christians were, were selling their property, you know, what were they doing? They were using the money that they got from selling their property to help meet the physical needs of the people in the church. In chapter 5, there's another example of, of the church trying to help meet the physical needs of their fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It, it was a couple named Ananias and Sapphira. Some of you might remember this famous couple. Uh, they sold a piece of property and they gave some of the money to help those who were in need. Now, we're not going to talk about that story today. Uh, there's a whole story I encourage you to read later in, in uh, Acts chapter 5. Um, uh, Ananias and Sapphira's giving was deceptive, uh, and the apostles dealt with their deception, um, which is just another example of the fact that the church is not a machine. If it was a machine, you could, you could uh, program it to not be deceptive. <laughs> but, uh, you know, they were deceptive, and, and the truth is, the church is made up of imperfect people. And sometimes we make mistakes, and they sure did. So read that uh, later if you want to. The point that I want to make about this, that story today in Acts chapter 5 um, is, uh, is that to see the process of how giving and money was handled in those first days, weeks, and months of the church. In Acts chapter 5, verse 2, we see that Ananias and Sapphira brought the money that they had had gotten, or at least the part that they were willing to give, and what did they do with it? They laid it at the apostles' feet. They laid it at the apostles' feet. It looks like that the apostles were doing more than just sharing the gospel and teaching about Jesus uh, and, and the lessons of Jesus. It looks like they were also managing the money <laughs> and making decisions about where the money would go. Who needed help? You know, the benevolent and, and administrative issues. They were handling it. The 12 apostles of Jesus. And I can only imagine, um, think about 5,000 individuals and all the needs that 5,000 individuals could potentially have. 
uh, those who were sick, those who were hungry, those who needed shelter, the disputes that, that they were having with each other, misunderstandings, personality conflicts, all that stuff had to be dealt with. The number was, was likely quite large of needs among 5,000 people, just the, just the, the sure ratio of it. Uh, and it seems that the apostles were trying to manage it all. In addition to running the play, uh, making disciples, baptizing, and teaching, they were also having to deal with everything else as well. All of it was important. You know, spiritual, physical, emotional needs, they're all important. In fact, you could say that it's kind of difficult to persuade a person to come follow Jesus if they're hungry or if they're homeless. So if you can meet a physical need so that they're, they can focus on something else besides hunger, then you can teach them, teach them about Jesus. It didn't take long for the apostles to realize we just can't do everything. We just can't do it all. They needed some help. And it's at this moment in church history that we see the first delegation. And it happened in Acts chapter 6, verse 1 through 7. Let's read about that. Acts 6, 1 through 7. In those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So, the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the Word of God in order to wait on tables. Just a, a, a fancy way of saying uh, serving people food. Um, Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. And so they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, uh, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly and a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. Now, a couple of elements in play here with this story. You know, at this point in, in the, the church's development, the gospel up, up to now had only been presented to the Jews. Gentiles would be included soon. In fact, in a, in a few weeks, in a, a message to come soon, we're going to talk about the first Gentile. Uh, but up to this point, uh, it was only being presented to the Jews. Um, that's where the apostles started. That's the way God wanted it. It was by design. So, you know, God wanted to give his chosen nation, the ones who had done all the hard work, uh, all the heavy lifting of bringing us Jesus through the centuries, you know, God wanted to give them first chance for the gospel. And then later the, the Gentiles would, be, would have an opportunity. But we see here that among the Jewish community, there was a distinct division within them. There were the Hebraic Jews, they're called. These were Jews that lived in the, the Palestine region, uh, like Judea and Galilee. Uh, these were people who primarily spoke the language of Aramaic, which is similar to Hebrew. Uh, their culture 
was very Jewish Orthodox in the way they dressed, their diet, their general lifestyle. Uh, and they generally lived just right around, sort of, you know, with, with not too far from Jerusalem. The other Jewish group uh, were called the Hellenistic Jews. Now, these were Jews uh, of the diaspora. And the diaspora uh, uh, is, were those Jews who had been dispersed throughout the world through the centuries during uh, times of occupation uh, when, when, uh, when the Jews would be uh, occupied by one of their enemies, like the Babylonians or the Assyrians. Uh, their enemies would capture many of them and take them off to the four corners of the, of the world and and maybe they would be slaves for a while, but then they would end up staying there and developing Jewish communities in those areas all over the Roman world at that time. Um, and their primary language at this time was Greek, was Greek. They lived in Jewish communities throughout the Roman Empire, practicing their Jewish faith. They practiced their faith just like the Hebraic Jews, uh, but they weren't quite as orthodox as uh, the Hebraic Jews one of the biggest differences and obstacles for these two groups to unite and interact with each other was just simply their language. They didn't speak the same language. It seems that there in, Jeru in the Jerusalem area, uh, and there were many of the Hellenistic Jews since Pentecost who had become Christians, kind of hanging around the Jerusalem area still, hadn't gone back to their homes yet. It seems there in Jerusalem, uh, as the apostles were trying to get food to the many widows among these new believers. And back in those days, there were a lot of widows. Men, you know, men don't live as long as women. And, uh, and they even lived shorter back then. And so there's always a lot of widows among, among the people during that time. Um, as the apostles were trying to get food to take care of the widows, widows couldn't take care of themselves, really. Uh, they didn't have job opportunities. They didn't have government programs. Um, the Hebraic widows were getting the food they needed. Uh, but the Hellenistic widows were not. They were not. And they felt that they were being neglected. Now, this charge is not disputed. You know, the apostles were going, it's not true. Uh, no, nobody said that. It seems that it was true. Uh, uh, we don't know why that was taking place. Uh, was it prejudice, maybe? Was it uh, proximity? Uh, because the, the Hebraic Jews just were kind of closer at hand. Was it language? You know, I, I, don't, I speak their language, but I don't there, so I'm going to go deliver food here. Uh, maybe the apostles uh, sent out uh, people with the money. Here, take this money and go buy the food and take it to the, to the widows. Um, but, and they went to the ones that spoke their language, which happened to be Aramaic. You know, we don't know why they were being neglected, but they were. So the apostles saw this issue as something that they needed to deal with. So they made a plan. They made a plan. And I'm sure they had already realized that they were being overwhelmed with trying to keep up with both spiritual and physical needs of the church. Um, and they realized they just could not do it all and do it all well. Jesus had tasked them with a specific job. A specific, specific job, sharing their personal experience of being with Jesus with others. That was their job, helping them understand that Jesus was their Savior. And at this point in church history, uh, they were really the only ones that could do that. They, were, they, were, they would teach others, like Philip and Stephen, we'll see in a minute, um, 
to, to evangelize and tell people about Jesus. But right at the very beginning, the apostles were the only ones that really could teach about Jesus. And so it was vital for the church that they continue to do that if it was going to grow and thrive. Yet other important things needed to be done too, like helping people with their physical needs, especially the vulnerable, like widows. Their plan was to select men from among these new believers, men who were known to be full of the Holy Spirit, who were known to be full of wisdom. You can see why that's important. In, in other words, men that had the ability to make wise, honest, and fair decisions. And, and, and they put them in charge of taking care of the widows. It was the first church designation. Uh, it was the first benevolent ministry, an organized benevolent ministry delegated to the members of the church. As we look at the list of men that are, are we find there in this passage, scholars tell us, and I'll just take their word for it, but scholars tell us that these were all Greek names. Uh, in other words, they were, they were Hellenistic. Um, and these men, they would have no issue in delivering food to the Hellenistic widows because they, they spoke the language and they were familiar with them. Now, while this benevolent ministry was, was their first ministry of these seven men some would go on to take on other ministries in the church like Stephen and Philip they were they would be trained to be evangelists and carry on the work of the apostles uh, to to tell people about Jesus and speaking of first speaking of first and this is the first that no one would want to be Stephen was the first Christian to die for his faith he was the first martyr for Jesus we read about that in, in Acts chapter 7 and his death was instigated by a man named Saul, uh, who, after he became a Christian, would be call, called Paul, the Apostle Paul. You know, these seven, while they were not called deacons, sometimes we look at, at this passage in, in, in uh, Acts 6, and we, these are the first deacons. They're not called deacons. They're not de de uh, designated as deacons, which is a church office that, that we have today. Um, they were not called deacons in this passage, but many feel that uh, because of their servant job, the word deacon literally means servant. Uh, you know, when, when, uh, when, the, this, the, the, when, deacon, when a deacon first uh, began to appear, it, it just meant servant. They were the ones who, who took care of, of really a lot of the physical needs. Um, uh, they're not called deacons here, but many feel that maybe this was the beginning of the position of deacon that we read about in 1 Timothy chapter 3. One of the primary lessons I think that we can learn from this first de delegation story is that when it comes to the body of Christ, when it comes to the church, the vital work that needs to be done to share Jesus cannot be done by one or two or just a handful of people at a local congregation. In, in every community and in every body of believers, in every congregation, there will always be both spiritual and physical needs that must be met if the body is to grow and thrive. There's a lot, there's a lot of work to do in any congregation, uh, in any body of believers. And if we want to get it all done, and here's the key, if we want to get it all done well, if we want to get it done well, 
we must delegate it among the body. Listen to how the Apostle Paul describes this important truth about the church using the human body as an example. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 12 through 14. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 through 14. Paul writes, and he's, and, he's, and he's writing this to the Christians at Corinth, to the church at Corinth. He says, just as a body, though one has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized into one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Greeks or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many, of many. Now, why does, why does Paul use the human body to illustrate the church? What do you think? Uh, he's writing to this common uh, church uh, in, in Corinth made up of a bunch of individuals like you and me. Well, he uses a human body because, you know, we all have one. Every single one of us has a human body, and we all understand how our body works or doesn't work sometimes. We all understand that our human body works best when all of our parts are working, and they're all working together, together. You know, we, we can't function very well uh, if the only thing that works is our hand or our mouth or our eyes, and if that's the only thing that works. Um, if, if our eyes see something that we want or need, like maybe a piece of bread sitting on the table over there, and our hands or our feet can't, aren't working, you know, uh, we can't move over. You know, we see there's bread and I'm hungry, but we don't have a hand or a foot that can take us to the table where we can reach and pick up the bread and put it in our mouth. And then if our mouth is not working, only our eyes, we can't even put it in our mouth because our mouth's not working. Uh, you know, it, when the body doesn't work well, when all the parts aren't working together, you know, that, that can be a, an issue to deal with and a problem in life, can it? Uh, and sometimes we have to deal with that in life uh, with, as we get older, especially. You know, Paul wraps this thought up like this. Uh, there, 1 Corinthians 12, 24 through 27. He said, But God has put the body together, giving greater honor to the parts that lacked it, so that there should be no division in the body, but that its parts should have equal concern, equal concern for each other. If one part suffers, every part suffers with it. If one part is honored, every part rejoices with it. Now you, you Corinthian Christians... Uh, or you Stony Brook Christians, you are the body of Christ, and each one of you, Stony Brook Christians, is a part of it. Each one of you is a part of it. Paul goes on to describe the church uh, as, uh, later on in this same passage, uh, Christians are people who have, God gives, different gifts from the Holy Spirit. And those gifts are to, to be used to work together uh, to help the church work, uh, to help the body of Christ work. And so that the church is not just a mouth that speaks and teaches, like, like my mouth that's speaking and teaching. It's, that's not all the church is. Um, it's, 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 not the, it's not a mouth with one working arm and one working leg, uh, that, uh, and, and, and everything else just sort of hangs there. 
you know, and does nothing. You've got one, one arm and one leg that's working. Everything else just hangs there. Um, no, the body of Christ is every part, every Christian actively doing their part to make the church work. And, and understand that a working part doesn't include just sitting and observing. <laughs> just sitting and observing. That's not a working part. The body here at Stony Brook needs you. Every single one of you sitting here today on Facebook, if you're not here today. Uh, the body of Christ at Stony Brook, if, you, if, this is, if this is your church family, we need, it needs you. Whatever part you are, whatever part you are, you are needed here in the body of Christ. Now, it doesn't have to be anything fancy. Sometimes we think, well, I don't have a special gift or an ability, you know, I can't preach or teach or anything like that. Uh, doesn't have to be anything fancy. You think delivering food to widows was fancy? Was that fancy? No. How many of us could deliver some food to somebody? Uh, is there anybody that can't? Um, uh, or, or maybe cleaning up after a meal when we have something on Wednesday night or leading kids from station to station at vacation Bible school, something like that. You know, it doesn't have to be fancy. Or it could be, hey, how about something you're just good at? Something you're just good at. Ask yourself this, and you, you all know this. You don't have to think about it too hard. What skills and abilities do you have? We all have some kind of skill or some kind of ability that, that we can do decent or maybe well. Maybe it's a professional skill or ability. Maybe it's a hobby that you enjoy uh, on your time off. Uh, let me ask you this. How could you use that skill or ability to serve the body of Christ here at Stony Brook. Wouldn't it be great if you could take something that you know how to do and use it for Christ in some way? Um, maybe with your skill or ability or interest, you could start something new that we don't have yet. You know, we don't have, I don't have any way of using this. Well, let's find a way to use it. You know, come talk to me. Let's sit down and, and, and see how you could get plugged in with that ability you have, that gift that you have. How could you use it to reach your neighbor? It doesn't have to be in this church building or some organized thing. It could just be using your skill or ability. Maybe you're a good mechanic. You help your neighbor change the oil or figure out what's going on with their, with their, with their vehicle. You know, we are very much in favor of delegation here at Stony Brook. We love it. Uh, we, the elders and I, uh, we don't want to do it all ourselves. I certainly don't, and I know the elders feel the same way. Uh, and maybe a handful of others that, that do some work. No, please come help. Please come help. That's what God wants us to do. We're very much in favor of that. It is the way God designed his church. So, what job, ministry, role, need could you take on to help the body of Christ be even more effective than it is right now? What job could you do? What ministry could you take on? Fancy or not? Fancy or not? So here's what, here's what we can do about it. If, if maybe you already know and you're already involved in it and, and, uh, and, and that's wonderful, uh, but maybe you're not. Maybe you I just, I, I don't know where I could serve. That's the reason I don't, because I don't know where I should serve. Let's pray about it. 
Pray about it. Ask God to show you, if you agree with me in God's word, that you need to be an active, moving part of the body of Christ, but you're not there right now. Pray about it. God, God, show me where I can be delegated to. Where I can be delegated to. Um, and, and, and ask God to show you how you can be an active, moving, working part of the body of Christ. Let's pray about it right now. Father God, thank you so much for the church and this wonderful spiritual family that you've given us. Uh, Lord, has, uh, I, I know I am blessed because I have brothers and sisters that are in this room uh, right now, and, and I can call on them, and they can be there for me, and I can be there for them. I thank you so much for my spiritual family. Uh, Lord, I, I, I ask you to just help us all to just, just think seriously uh, about where our role should be. Um, maybe we need to take on something different or something new. Maybe we need to take on something for the first time, but we don't know where or what. And so, Lord, if there's anybody here tonight, uh, t today, this morning, that, that, that wants to find a place but doesn't know where, show them the way. Uh, let them reach out to to me or one of the elders or, or someone here at the church. Hey, how can I help? Reach out to Chris in the youth area uh, or Leslie with administrative things. Or, you know, wh wh where can I help, Lord? I want to I get plugged in and I want to uh, to be active here. Where can I help in my community with my neighbors, with my coworkers, where I can uh, be actively sharing the gospel, uh, sharing, being there to help meet a need, to, to just show them the love of Christ. Uh, Lord, help us to to understand what you want and then show us where we can go and serve uh, and, and be a part of your body. Thank you, Father, for allowing us to be brothers and sisters, children of yours in your body. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.